Thank you, Pastor Jimmy. Um, good morning. My name is Danny, one of the pastors here on staff at First Baptist Church. If you're new with us, thank you so much for worshiping with us today, whether you're in the room. Man, we're just glad that we have a space that we can gather in, and um, we're also thrilled that we're able to lead you in worship while you're at home. But if you are new, would you let us know that you're here with us? You can go to fbcsa.org connect. That's a simple way just to say, hey, um, I was here this morning in the room or online, and uh, we want to make a commitment to connect with you at a, a later time. But uh, it is good that we have the privilege to worship and exalt this Jesus together. Um, also, let me remind you that a very much a part of our worship is our giving, and that's giving of our all of ourselves, our resources, and our time, and we want to invite you to continue to give financially to further uh, the ministry that God has given this church family. You also can do that online at fbcsa.org slash give, or you can do it as you exit this morning um, in the little boxes that you see right next to those columns. So continue to worship in that way and to give uh, in that way. This morning is Epiphany Sunday. How many of y'all knew that? It's the, the last Sunday. Thank you, Ethan. Ethan had his hand up. Glad you knew that, Ethan. Um, uh, today's the last Sunday of Christmas tide. It is we, we wrap up this time of remembrance of the Father sending the Son for God so loved the world. But Epiphany Sunday calls us to remember those wise men who came a few years later after Jesus was born, and they came to recognize the Son. Right? They might not have known everything there was to know about Jesus at, they, at that time, but they knew um, that the creator of the universe had pointed toward this, this little boy, that there's something significant about him, and they came and honored him and gave him gifts. And Mark is doing something very similar. Uh, in fact, all the Gospels do this, is that their aim is to draw attention to Jesus, not just tell the story about Jesus, not just tell the history about Jesus' life, but to move us to encounter Christ um, and to decide about who He is and what He's done and whether or not we ought to believe in following Him. The Gospels are really a call to respond to who Jesus is. And so I'm grateful for Epiphany Sunday as I'm grateful for the Gospels who draw our hearts and our eyes and our ears to this man, Jesus, the Son of God. And perhaps we see that even more clearly this morning as we go to the Scriptures in Mark chapter 1. Let me encourage you. Um, certainly, I always want you to trust me as I, I read the Scriptures here from the stage from my Bible that I have, but can I encourage you to draw your eyes to your own Bible that whether it's a hard copy, if you have a hard copy this morning, I'd love for you to open up to Mark chapter 1. Um, if you have a digital copy, I want you to go there as well. And I'm going to consistently and faithfully point you back to the text. Uh, it is the work of the Spirit of God through the Word of God that we see and can savor this Jesus. So don't take my word for it. Take His word for it. And um, I'll lead you there faithfully uh, throughout this morning and any time. I preach. So with that said, let's stand together. We're going to read verses of chapter 1, verses 36 through 39, just the beginning of our reverse passage for this week. 
Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. You may be seated. Let's pray. Um, Father, Lord, we do ask that you bless the reading of your word. Um, Lord, help us to see and to hear the things we ought to see and to hear, and help us to respond to your son, Jesus. And, and all God's people said, amen. And so, again, we're reminded about Jesus' mission. We've been talking about the person of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, and the method of Jesus. And in these first three chapters of Mark, we're going to see all of that kind of scattered throughout. And I'm going to do my best to draw my attention, draw your attention to those things. But right off the bat, Jesus reminds his disciples of what he's all about, his mission. So uh, the text tells us that Simon and the others find Jesus because he's been away praying. He's been by himself. Um, And he says, man, everyone's been looking for you. Uh, There's a whole throng of people that are waiting for you to heal them. Uh, More people waiting for you to heal them. And Jesus says, no. I've got many other towns that I need to go to. That's why I've come. I've come to preach the gospel, to bring the good news. And we know he's pointing back to that message of John that John began to preach, which was a call to repentance, to turn back to God. And Jesus is saying, that's my message. I've got to go from town to town, not just this town, and also spread that message, that call to turn back to God, ultimately to turn back to him to recognize who he is as Christ and Messiah. But also, uh, we see him, uh, that method, the method of Jesus' mission. It says he's traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. Right there, we have a very simple method of Jesus, that his goal was to go to as many towns as possible with the time frame that God had given him, and to go into the synagogues and to teach from the scriptures and to call people to repentance and to overcome the darkness. You remember last week we said we saw through those miracles of exercising demons and the healing of broken bodies that when Jesus came to dispel the darkness by his authority to overwhelm and overcome the darkness, the enemy of God, demons and the like. And also we know that part of the mission of God is to overcome our own brokenness that we have willingly received because of our willful choice to reject and disobey God. The mission of God is to share the message of the gospel, to turn back to God so that he might overcome the darkness in our brokenness because of our sin. And we're reminded that here in verse 39, that he went into the synagogues and continued to cast out demons. Mission and method. And then we have this story of another healing. In verse 40, it says, A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. And he says, If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. And we know, uh, Pastor Jimmy already kind of painted this picture for us. This was no easy task. This was a man who had a very contagious skin disease, and by the law, 
which was a good practice, was to set him outside of the community so that he wouldn't spread the disease. He was also ceremonially unclean because of his skin disease. And so because of that reality in his life, the law dictated that he would be set apart from family, community, uh, from worship. And there was some provision for him to come worship in the synagogue. They would set up this little kind of barricade for those who had skin diseases. So so there was some provision for worship, but by and large, here was a man that was isolated. So you can imagine an outcast of society. No one wanted to be around him. In fact, when he was around other people, he would have to let them know that he was there, right? Uh, But he makes his way to Jesus. He's a desperate and broken man. And the Scriptures tell us Jesus' response It says in verse 41, moved with compassion. Now, I don't know how many of your translations have a little asterisk. Mine has a little asterisk by it. That's important. There were many uh, early Greek manuscripts of this verse that didn't say moved to compassion. It said moved in anger. And so you have these two words found in these Greek manuscripts. One says anger and one says compassion. And I think that's interesting and important for us to know. And if indeed it is anger, it's a kind of anger that moved Jesus to compassion. The kind of anger that looked at the condition of this man's brokenness that led to his isolation. After all, John 17, 3, Jesus says, hey, listen, you want to know what eternal life is all about? It's about knowing God and knowing the Son. It's about having fellowship. It's about experiencing community with the creator of the universe and with others. And this disease had prohibited him from making those kind of meaningful connections. And and so Jesus bent out a shape because of the man's condition and what it led to happen in his life. I believe he was angry. And that anger because of the man's condition moved him to compassion and his compassion moved him to act. And the word of God says, and he touched him. Likely, one of the first touches this man has had in a long time. He's probably seen a lot of stones come his way, a lot of hisses, and a lot of mean words thrown his direction, but now he experiences the touch of Jesus, not just of any man, but of the Son of God. And Jesus heals this man immediately, heals this man immediately. Jesus says, I'm willing to heal you. And he does so. Be healed. The scripture is very clear. It says immediately it happens in verse 42. Instantly the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. This story really embodies the very essence of Jesus' incarnation. That he came as a little baby. That he came as a man. That he took on flesh. Philippians chapter 2 reminds us that Jesus condescended. He gave up all of his rights as God. He didn't hold on to them and said, listen, I'm better than all of you. I don't need to be among you. But no, he became a man. Why? So that he could touch us. So that he could be God with us. For God so loved the world that he sent the Son so that 
the darkness that overwhelms us and the brokenness that, it, that we experience and the separation and isolation that we know all too well because of our own sin and, uh, and corporate sin, Jesus says, I have come to touch so that you may be healed and made right with God once for all time. Here's my question for you and for us is, do you know the compassionate touch of God through Jesus in your life? Have you experienced his healing touch where you have tasted uh, restoration and forgiveness and you have begun a journey of recreation and wholeness? Have you tasted that? Do you know Jesus' compassion in your own life? And here's another question for us, church. Will we be the compassionate touch of Jesus in the lives of other people? When the world around us, whether they're saying it out loud or not, they are desperate to know healing from their isolation. Will we be that compassionate touch as his church? Well, we know that's not all that happens. Jesus says some very interesting things. In verse 43, it says, Then Jesus sent this man on his way with a stern warning. Um, again, with the same theme of this is, this is kind of an angry, very abrupt Jesus. This isn't, hey, by the way, can you not tell anybody? Jesus gives him a very stern warning. Don't say a word publicly about what went down today. Gave him a very stern warning. Why in the world? Well, for the same reason that we see in verse 38, when the apostles wanted him to stick around with everyone who wanted to see him in the town that he'd already healed so many people and preached the gospel, he said, I didn't come to do that. The reason I came is to go from town to town so that they can hear the gospel message too. And so here we find Jesus being very pragmatic. As he's already experienced, he knew just one other story of miraculous healing would get in the way of his mission and the method of him going from town to town, synagogue to synagogue. That would, it would clog the way. There would be just way too many people that would be demanding and expecting him to sit down and heal numbers and numbers and untold number of people that it would prohibit him from doing what he was sent to do to begin with, which was to speak the message of God, a message of repentance. So here we find Jesus just being very pragmatic, very pragmatic. And we see the result of this. What was the outcome in verse 45? The man did not obey Jesus. You know, we can cut him some slack, right? Gosh, he'd just been healed from leprosy. I don't know, it might have been years. He's able to see eventually his family for the first time. He had a few more days to wait before that were to happen, but he is beyond excited, and he tells everybody. And what happens? What's the result? Exactly as Jesus predicted, but the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result... As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town 
anywhere. He had to stay out in the secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. So exactly uh, what Jesus expected happened, happened. The man couldn't hold his tongue, and as pragmatic as Jesus wanted to be, uh, the man's disobedience led him from actually going into the towns and synagogues themselves because people wanted the blessings of God and the healings that Jesus could provide. But that's not Jesus' mission. That's not why he came. He didn't come to go sit in towns and heal everyone that came to him. He came for the main thing. He came to confront men and women with a call to turn back to God. He came to give a message similar to John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of God is here, and I am the kingdom. He came to share that message in person and through his words, and the miracles were a sign unto this, right? We know that all the miracles, y'all remember the story, this is a little later on in Jesus' ministry, and um, the some of the disciples of John come to Jesus and say, are you really the Messiah? That's what John wants to know. He sent us to ask you, are you really the Messiah or should we be waiting for somebody else? And Jesus says, you've seen the things that I've done. The lame walk, the blind see, lepers are healed and people are raised back to life. And that's what Jesus is saying. All the things you saw me do in those villages and towns where I was exercising demons and performing incredible works and miracles, those were to be a sign unto you that indeed I am the Messiah. The whole point of the miracles was to draw people to Jesus themselves. The benefit of being healed for a moment was just the blessing in the moment. After all, everyone who had been healed in those villages likely would have gotten sick again, right? Uh, All of them died, even Lazarus. Of course, it's not recorded in the Scriptures, but we know, although he was raised from the dead, he likely died again. And so the point of the healings in these towns was not was momentary and temporary, but they were to be a sign so that they would be confronted with who Jesus is, that he indeed is the Messiah. He is the eternal miracle worker. Will you turn back to God? Will you believe in me? That's what Jesus wanted to do. He wanted to be able to go into every synagogue and every town and say, will you believe in me? Will you turn back to God? The kingdom of God is at hand. He wanted to keep the main thing the main thing. He didn't want the message of God to be obscured. He said, no, I am am set out to preach the gospel from town to town. Jesus' stern warning was evidence of his desire to keep the main thing the main thing about himself, drawing people to who he is in as many places that he could go as possible, every town. And that's what we see going on in this passage. Here's the question for us. What keeps us from the main thing? 
what keeps us from being a part of the heartbeat of God's mission. And not just as individuals, but as a church. What keeps us from keeping Jesus, the very heart and cornerstone of our mission? That like Christ, we want to lead people to be confronted by who Jesus is and to make a decision on who Christ is. Will you believe in him? Will you follow him? He is calling you to to turn back to God, to find uh, forgiveness and restoration, but that only comes through repentance and following Jesus. Will you do that? Is that our mission? Do we keep that main thing, the main thing in our life as individuals or as a church family? That's a good question. And what keeps us from the main thing? Are we willing to ask those kind of questions? What are some things in our life, just very practically speaking, uh, what are some things in the workplace? What are some attitudes that I have? What are some practices that I have? What are some things that we do in the life of the church, whether good or bad? What are traditions that are in place? Or there, is there anything in my life that keeps us from doing the main thing? And being a blessing to people and, and being compassionate. And in fact, that's part of the first part of this point is, are we compassionate towards people? Are our eyes drawn to the, the hurt and need around us? And are we being a healing touch? But all of that is for naught if we lose sight of the main thing. There are untold numbers of people who have tasted the blessing of God and are still far away from God. There are an untold number of people that have tasted the blessing and goodness of God and have still rejected Jesus. That's Hebrews chapter 6, by the way, tells of a people that have received the blessing of the community of faith, have seen the Spirit of God at work, and yet they live in unrepentant sin. And Hebrews chapter 6 says there's no repentance left for them. They have received the blessing of God, but they have rejected the Son. So it's not just about the blessings and the kindness and the compassion and the social justice that we bring. We should always bring a healing touch. But if we lose sight of the main thing, which is drawing people's attention to who Jesus is and what he's done that leads them to a point of decision, yes, I will repent and follow him, or no, I will continue to go my own way, then we have lost sight of what God and Jesus was all about. He wasn't just looking for momentary healing but he wanted to give us everlasting life. And that only comes through Christ. Not just receiving his blessings. Man, what else happens in this text? There's so much stuff, so much subtext that happens in here. Um, It's incredible. So let's go ahead and read what else Jesus says to this man. He says, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, instead, Verse 44, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. So although this man is healed immediately, his leprosy is gone, Jesus instructs him to follow the demands of the law so that a priest 
can declare him ceremonially clean. So it wasn't enough that he would be healed, but a priest had to verify his healing, but then go through a lengthy process that took over a week long. So it would, go, it would happen kind of like this. I'm going to miss a few parts here, but it would happen kind of like this. Um, this man was healed. A friend would see and recognize that this leper was healed and would go tell the priest and say, hey, my friend has been healed. And so the law would dictate that the priest would have to leave the community, the city, go outside a town where this man is, in case he still is unclean or not healed, and then this priest would verify that he has been healed and perform a preliminary sacrifice. He would bring two doves, he would sacrifice one and then release the other. And then he would tell this man, while he's still outside the town, he would say, all right, I need you to take a ceremonial bath, I need you to clean yourself with water, and I need you to shave all of the hair off of your head. Pretty pragmatic, by the way. They wanted to be sure that there were no lesions anywhere. And he says, now I want you to stay here for a week. So he had to stay outside of the city for another week. And after a week, on the eighth day, then this man who was still healed, in other words, there's no lesions on his head or anywhere on his body, he has remained healed, he then comes into town, he brings uh, another sacrifice, he brings two lambs this time, two sheep. And at this point, the, the priest again verifies that he indeed is still healed, performs this ritual sacrifice, he has to bathe again and also shave his head again. So this wasn't some simple process that this man had to go through, but Jesus said, listen, I know I healed you immediately. You are clean, but you must go through the demands of the law so that the priest can declare you clean. Really, it would have all been for naught if this man just continued work, said, I'm clean now, I can just do what I want, go back to my family. He would have been cast right back out of the village, right? Because he hadn't gone through this process. So Jesus was really doing right by this man, right? Fulfill the law. Do what the law requires of you. It's kind of like um, a few weeks ago, um, I was in contact with someone who had tested positive for COVID. And there were several days where, uh, you know, it was likely that I could have tested positive for COVID, but I, I had to do a few things. One, I had to isolate myself. Um, and two, I didn't just get one test, but I got two tests to really verify that I didn't have COVID because I didn't want to put anyone else at risk, Right? And so it's kind of like the same thing, that Jesus is doing this man right by, listen, I know you're healed. I healed you. I know what I've done in your life. Um, but there are these steps that the law has demanded that is for your good and for the community's good so that you can be, know that you can be healed and ceremonially clean. And that's what Jesus encouraged him to do, and we believe that's exactly what he did. But there's something else here that I think we need to take notice of. Not only was Jesus doing this man right, but it's also clear that Jesus never opposed the law. He never said the law is bad. Many of the Pharisees were bent out of shape for this reason because they 
questioned Jesus' loyalty to the law. And they try to find out ways. They ask him all kinds of questions all the time to try to kind of like catch him in the moment. Oh, see there, you've kind of forgotten about Moses and the law. But nowhere do we find that. They, they're never able to catch Jesus. And so here we find Jesus not being opposed to the law. In fact, in support of it, and I would say it another way, just like Jesus said it, he came to fulfill it. Remember, Jesus said, I haven't come here to remove one jot or tittle of the law. I've come to fulfill the law. And in the most literal sense possible, Jesus fulfills the requirement of the law so that this man might be clean. It's a beautiful picture. The scriptures describe Jesus as the cornerstone, the cornerstone of everything. In fact, the law, and Jesus being the cornerstone of the law, Jesus becomes the point of the law. That the law was intended to point to him and his work, that it's only through Christ alone that ultimately we will find purification and healing. And Jesus says to this leper, I want you to follow the demands of the law. Because ultimately this law and your healing will point to me. Verse 44, at the end of verse 44, it says this, this will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. Just a really quick lesson on translation. So this is the New Living Translation. I really like this translation. It helps us uh, really read uh, the scriptures in a way that we can best understand. It's readable. And I want you to read scriptures, so I want to present to you a translation that you're more likely to read than anything else, all right? But at the same time, we also recognize that uh, translators have to do the best they can with what they have to help make sense of what they're trying to translate. But in the original Greek, there is no words for, um, how, do, how does NLT render it? This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. There is no phrase, you have been cleansed. That was added for us to help us try to understand. But it's still an effort to try to interpret what's going on here. But what if, being that the exact translation, if we just translated it word for word, what if it wasn't a public testimony that you have been cleansed as a positive testimony for people to see or for the priest to see? What if it, the actual literal translation is a testimony to them? But what if it's a negative testimony, not a positive testimony? What's it, what if it's a negative testimony against the priests rather than a positive testimony to the priests about the man's cleansing? Now, hear me out just for a second. What do I mean by that? What is Jesus doing? If Jesus' main intent of his mission is to confront men and women about who he is and say, turn from God and turn to me and find eternal healing and forgiveness and restoration of God to God, if, if he is the point then looking at that little phrase a little differently these little help is very helpful for us because it sets up the priests. It's a great lawful setup. Go to the priests. 
you've been healed. Let them see your healing. And they affirm your healing by the law. And they perform racks of, uh, 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 acts of ceremonial cleansing. And you're not only healed, but you're ceremonially now clean. And may that testimony be used against them when they reject the Son. When they reject the Son. It's possible, and this is possible what's going on in the heart and mind of Jesus. That they can accept the healing, but reject the Son. And Jesus is saying that if you reject me, may that be a testimony against you that you're rejecting God. Y'all know the story in the New Testament where the landowner has given his managers work over the field while he's away, and they want to abide by everything the manager wants them to do, and then the son comes and says, I'm the son of the owner of this land, and they kill him. And the owner comes back and says, where's my son? And they said, well, we didn't realize he was your son. We thought he was doing something else. And the landowner says, no, you killed my son. Could it be that's what, Je- what Jesus is doing right here? He is setting these priests up to be confronted with who he is. That you can't just love and appreciate the healing without accepting and loving the healer. And if you reject the healer, you reject God. Jesus was consistently leading people to deal with him. Deal with me, who I am. Not just momentary healing, but that I'm the son of God, the Christ, the Messiah. And you only find restoration through me. Here's the question for us. Are we leading people to deal with Jesus? In our own life, as individuals and corporately as the church family, are we leading people to deal with who Jesus is? That's what we're called to do. That's what Jesus set out to do is know me, and will you believe me? Will you repent of sin and find forgiveness and restoration through me? That's his mission, and that's our mission. We're gonna move into a time of response. And I want to invite you to reflect on your own life. This is a brand new year. It's 2021 Um, I think God orchestrated time in the way that he did to give us an opportunity to set new goals. Call them resolutions. Call them whatever you want. But it's an opportunity to look back and say, that's who I was, but this is who I can be by the grace of God. So my question for you this year as you move into 2021, will you keep Jesus the main thing? Uh, will you lead people in, in how you love and serve your neighbors? Will it, won't, will it not just be through acts of kindness and blessing and compassion, but will you be the word of God to people? Will you present Jesus in such a way with a lot of grace 
that says you still have to deal with who Jesus is. Will he be your Messiah? Will you be that kind of person this year? A church, will we be that kind of church this year? Will we embrace that mission of confronting and graciously leading the people of this city and this nation and the world to deal with Jesus? I want that to be more true of myself. May it be true of you as well. And there might be some of you who, you know, have said, I've tasted the blessings of God all my life, but I've never put my faith in Jesus. I've never dealt with Jesus. Now's your time. Today is the day of salvation. Um, Will you put your faith and trust in Christ? These altars are open. We can't touch you or be all that close to you, but we will pray over you. You come. You come and respond. Father God, we're thankful for the word of your testimony that we have record of in the scriptures. And will you lead us to respond? Lead us to deal with your son Jesus. And by your grace, Lord, may we be changed and restored. Help us to take new steps of great faith in this year, 2021. Help us to experience great transformation. May we be your disciples. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.